Luke chapter 2, as we open our Bibles, hopefully you have a Bible tonight or you can open up a device. We'll have uh, the scriptures up on the screen for you as well. And tonight we are looking at a message called The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength. We certainly have uh, had a rough couple of years as a nation and a world. Uh, This has been a trying time to say the least. And uh, here we find ourselves at the end of another year and maybe asking questions like, are there really divine consolations that we can lean into as people who are living here in Southern California or wherever you may come from, those who have joined us via live stream tonight. And uh, we are probably, most of us, familiar with the story of the shepherds and the wise men. The shepherds came on the night that Jesus was born. The wise men came some months later to honor the king. But there's two people that I want to look at tonight that maybe you're not as familiar with. Uh, Some of you are, some of you may not be. Uh, And that is Simeon and Anna. And this is the account that is a little further down beyond the account of the shepherds. And it picks up the life of Jesus on the eighth day of his young life, on the day of his circumcision. Before we uh, look at that account, starting in verse 21, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for this glorious Christmas Eve night. Thank you for the wonderful church family that has assembled to honor the King Uh, We want to know you, Lord. I think the cry of our heart, the cry of my heart tonight is, I want to know you. I I don't, uh, it's not about the songs per se or the rituals. They can all be wonderful, but it's about knowing you. And the Bible tells us that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Father, you are good. And you gave us the greatest gift that we could ever receive that we celebrate on this Christmas Eve night. We celebrate on the day of Christmas as well. But really, it's in our hearts all year long, Lord, to know that you came into this world on a saving mission, to know that you wanted to impart life, and not just physical life, not just breath, but eternal life. And tonight, Lord, I pray that those who don't have that eternal life abiding in them would find it, because you're not far from each one of us. You love us. You know what we're going through. You entered into our pain in the person of Jesus Christ, and I pray tonight You would enter into every heart that doesn't know you, and you would fill every heart that does know you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, part of what Luke, Dr. Luke does in his gospel is strives to present an orderly account, and he's going to present two witnesses to us that are probably both older in years. If you go back to the beginning of the book and the purpose statement of the book, Luke 1-2 reads this way. Luke writes, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, Luke 1, 3, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. That can simply mean lover of God. So that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. 
And of course, we get into the census and Herod and all of that. But the shepherds are also witnesses, and so are Simeon and Anna to the arrival of the king or the Christ. And so we move past the shepherds and we go in Luke 2.21 to the day eight of Jesus' young life. It says, when eight days had passed or were completed, Luke 2.21, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jeremiah was told, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I called you as a prophet to the nations. It's amazing to think about the fact that God knows us before we're ever even conceived and Jesus was given a name before his conception. And Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit in the very history in which we are embedded. He lived eight days And then we come to the point of his circumcision right here. And then he's given the name Jesus, which was a divine name given by the angel that he would be called. And both Joseph and Mary were told about this name. You're going to to see here in a moment that Joseph and Mary are very careful about observing the law of God. Uh, Galatians 4.4 tells us when the fullness of the time came, Jesus was born of a woman born under the law. The law can be a weight because we can't really keep it. We've all failed to keep the essence of the law, to love God and love others as we should. And Jesus comes to fulfill the law and to succeed where we have failed. That's a big part of his, uh, the reason that he comes to fulfill all righteousness. Part of that is the Abrahamic covenant, which instructed uh, Hebrew males to be circumcised on the eighth day. That's Genesis 17, 12. Barclay says, so sacred was the ceremony of circumcision that it could be carried out even if it fell on a Sabbath day. And so Jesus would be named on the day of his circumcision and he would honor the Abrahamic covenant and his name would be called Jesus, which literally means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. And so the one that probably raised the knife to circumcise Jesus was Joseph He would have circumcised him. There would be blood. And this would initiate him into the Abrahamic covenant. And the cries of the Savior would go up, anticipating really the cries that would happen some 30 years later as he would die on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus is circumcised to honor the law. And then when the days, uh, and the New King James says in 22, for her that is Mary's purification according to the law. Notice they're careful to, to observe the law. Of Moses were completed. They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now this means that Jesus was brought to the temple and they would present the baby Jesus to the Lord. What we find out from the book of Leviticus is that Jesus, when he's brought to the temple in Jerusalem, is 40 days old. And I'll show you that in a moment. Maybe we can put the scripture on the screen. This is Leviticus 12, 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, Leviticus 12, 2, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 33 days. 
She shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. If she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks as in her menstruation, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 66 days. 33 plus 7 is 40. 66 plus 14 is 80. Bible students, the number 40 speaks of what? Testing. Uh, It speaks of stretching. In the wilderness, Israel wandered for 40 years in the desert. Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And when Jesus is in the 40th day of his young life, he is presented to God, and Mary goes to the temple for her purification. Now, the time for a male is 40 days. The time for a female is 80 days. You may be asking, why is the time doubled for females? I have no idea. Nor do I choose to comment on a Christmas Eve evening because I could lose a few gifts tonight, and I want all the gifts I can get. But I want you to see that Jesus is being presented and Mary is being purified. And it says, Luke 2.23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male, so this is the first one that opens the womb, shall be called holy to the Lord. When you had a uh, baby that opened the womb, your firstborn male, you presented him to the Lord. And this is a combination of verses from Exodus and Numbers. And when you presented that baby to the Lord, you actually had to buy him back or redeem him for a shekel price of five shekels. The Bible says we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from our feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But Mary, when she came to the temple with Joseph, she was coming for a purification ceremony for her and a presentation of him. And he had opened the womb. He was her firstborn. And so they had to offer him to God or to the Father. And in Exodus 13, when God lays down the initial teaching in this regard, he says, it or he belongs to me. Never was a statement truer than that day at the Jerusalem temple because when they presented Jesus To the Father, the Father might say from heaven, He belongs to me. Amen? And remember, later Luke will tell us that Jesus is in Jerusalem when he's 12 years old, probably right before his bar mitzvah, maybe his first Passover. And it's then that he tells his parents, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So on the 40th day, Mary comes for purification and presentation of the Son who already belonged to the Father, but he was given for us, amen? He was given to complete or to succeed where we failed. We'd be wandering forever without him. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, but it is Jesus who brings us into the promises, amen? And this is the connection to the law. And so that firstborn would be called holy to the Lord. And of course, Jesus is the holy one of God. If you want to look at more on this, you can look at uh, Numbers 18, 5, and 6. 
And so to offer a sacrifice, now this is for her, 24, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Leviticus 12 goes on to say in verse 6, when the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and this is the logical place that uh, one would meet with God at this time, they were to bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. So what you were supposed to come with was a lamb and basically a bird for this ceremony for, uh, to be cleansed. Then he shall offer, notice, it before the Lord and make atonement. The priest is now making atonement for her, the woman. Mary did need a Savior. She was not perfect. She rejoiced in God, her Savior. She's going through an atonement ceremony, but here Jesus would be her ultimate atonement. And she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, Leviticus 12, 8, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, so a second bird in, in the place of a lamb, the one for the burnt offering, the other for the sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Now, this is one of the reasons we know that, that the Magi have not come to Mary and Joseph yet, because they give what's called the offering of the poor. They can't afford a lamb, so they give two birds as an alternate offering for the poor. If the Magi had come already, then they would have had the gold from the Magi and been able to purchase a lamb. So the Magi came at least 40 days after Jesus was born, perhaps several months after he was born. And they present the two birds as an offering, the offering of the poor, which tells you that Jesus came from a poor family. He who had everything, who holds the universe together, became poor, that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. And so there is the offering but what Mary may not have realized in full at this very moment is she didn't need a lamb because her lamb was in her arms. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So perhaps God in his providence kept the Magi from coming until after this event in the temple to confirm the fact that Jesus was Mary's lamb. Mary, did you know? that you held your Savior in your very arms, the Savior of the world. And so into the temple they go, presenting the Son of God to God the Father, Mary doing the offering here of the two turtle doves or pigeons. And then we're told, behold, this is what we might call divine choreography, the providence of God. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. His name means God hears or hearkening. And this man was righteous and devout, establishing his credibility as a witness, as we looked at at the beginning. And he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, confirming him as a witness. So Simeon is often thought of as an older guy. We don't know for sure how old Simeon is, but there he is walking in the spirit, if you will, and he goes to the temple. And what's amazing about the Christian life is that when we walk by the spirit and not by the flesh, God will do divine choreography in our lives. Amen? And oftentimes we'll end up somewhere meeting someone 
either that we have a word for them or they have a word for us, or perhaps it's the first time that you heard the gospel or maybe shared the gospel. And the Lord is moving on several different levels here, bringing Joseph and Mary at the exact time that Simeon was coming. And Simeon and Anna were both looking for the consolation and redemption of Israel. And there was a lot going on. Israel was under Roman occupation. There was probably a ton of prayers that got prayed. Lord, would you relieve us of this burden? We don't want the Romans here. We want to be free to worship. How many of us have prayed prayers in the last two years, perhaps, about, Lord, would you lift the burden from our culture? But I wonder, has our culture really heard the message? God has allowed this to continue. The question is, why? Perhaps he's trying to get a message to us. But one of the messages here is that he wants to bring divine consolation. And so Simeon was looking for that consolation, that word is a beautiful word. It means a calling near to comfort, to solace, uh, to give what affords comfort or refreshment. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, and Jesus is our divine consolation. Whenever this world is too much for me, whenever uh, it's like, Lord, really? We've got something else going on here or there. I find my solace in Christ. Amen? And I hope you do too. When we face adverse circumstances, this is from the MacArthur Study Bible, and even conflicts face us, we need consolation and comfort, and we find it in Christ. He says, The Greek word translated comfort portrays the Lord coming close and whispering words of gentle cheer or tender counsel in the believer's ear. This would be the dream of a thousand lifetimes, to be praying for the consolation, to be praying for hope in your nation, and then to be someone like Simeon who got a promise from God and got it to be realized. 26 says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He'd received some sort of oracle, we don't know how or how it came, that he, Simeon, would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had brought a word to Simeon whose name means the Lord hears that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. Talk about living a life of expectation. Because once you knew that promise was from God, how would you now live? You'd be looking around every turn to see, is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? Do you think that Simeon thought he would meet a baby? I don't know. But I know he was walking in the Spirit and he was anticipating. And to live a life of anticipation is a wonderful way to live. You never know where Jesus might show up. Amen? How many of you would like to live that way in 2022? Lord, wherever you're going to show up in 2022, I want to be there. Lord, use me. Speak through me. Guide me. How many of you would say, I want to walk more in the Spirit next year? Amen? Uh, Christmas time is wonderful, but even putting up Christmas lights, sometimes you get in the flesh. Can I get a witness, anybody? Anybody uh, go to help dear old dad out with the Christmas lights as he gets in the flesh? Anyway. <laughs> and so he was living with anticipation, a way that we should be living. And he came in the Spirit, 27, into the temple or the temple complex. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, you almost see them coming you know, from opposite ends, to carry out for him 
the, the custom of the law. And this would be the shekel price for the firstborn. Here is a divine meeting. He was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the consolation was coming in, being carried by mom and dad. And he took Jesus into his arms, 28, and he blessed God. I've been telling you guys, those of you who go here, we have a a brand new grandchild in our lives, and her name is Little Melody, and we all love to hold her and just do the stare off with, Melody, Melody, it's a wonderful thing just to stare at a baby. So Simeon comes, and I don't know if he even asked permission. I don't know if it was something like this, give me that child right now. And Mary's like, whoa, what's going on? And as he held the baby, he had the realization, the dream of a thousand lifetimes, holding in his very arms the Savior of the world. Did he know it was going to be a baby? I don't know. But there it was. And some sort of impartation by the Holy Spirit that that's him. And he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen your Yeshua. Those of you who are Bible students of Hebrew know that the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, which is the name Jesus. My eyes have seen your Jesus. That's his name, because Yahweh saves. I don't know how long Simeon held the baby, but you know, new moms are usually quick to want the baby back, right? Simeon might <laughs> turn around. No, how long would you want to milk that moment? as you were holding the baby, the Savior of the world. Now, he says, you can take me to heaven, Lord. I can depart in peace. The idea of peace is shalom. The idea of departing or dismissing can have the idea of to go to heaven, but it also can have the idea of I have run my race, and now I can leave in peace. The hymn of Simeon is known as the nunc Demitis in Latin, from the first words of the Latin Vulgate translation, meaning you can now dismiss, you can now discharge me, I have run my race, I have finished, and now I can know that you are going to save the nation. I think he knew all along, but he came to that realization. That Salvation 31, you prepared in the presence of all peoples, it's for everybody, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and, would you notice, the glory of thy people Israel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Jesus Christ came to save all people. That's why we're here tonight. Amen? He's the Savior of the world. And, The song of Simeon is echoing in the temple courts as he sings his famous song, the Nunc Dimittis. And Jesus' father and mother were amazed. They were marveling. I'm sure this happened to them many times at the things which were being said about him. His mother was amazed, the Savior of the world. She already knew, but it was another affirmation. It was another confirmation. He's only 40 days old. He's a little baby. 
but he's going to save the world. And you could imagine, almost like our time of worship here, I was basking in the music, man. I hope you were as well. In the presence of God, in corporate worship, going, man, you can take us up to heaven now, Lord. If this is a taste of it, this is awesome. But they got smacked back into reality because Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary, specifically to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. The word for rise there is always used of the resurrection. And for a sign to be opposed. Now I know you're rejoicing in the beauty of this moment, Mary, but I gotta tell you something, and this is also from the Spirit. This child is gonna cause many to rise and many to fall. He will be a rock on which many will stand and rise again. And he will also be a stumbling stone over which many will fall to their own demise. Has anyone ever been so dividing as Jesus Christ? I'm talking about the true Christ now, who said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Because when you know what Jesus really said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. All of a sudden, people, even in Israel, his own people, the religious leadership largely rejected him. They said, we will not have this man to rule over us. Not this way. Not if he threatens our power. Not if he threatens our position. Not if he threatens our business within the temple. And Jesus Rock the world, did he not? Turning over the tables of the money changers and basically saying, you're not gonna do this to my father's house. My father's house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You're not gonna do this here. And they got mad. And Jesus upset the apple cart. The Jesus of the Bible has a way of making you decide where do you stand? Because that little child became that one who claimed to be the singular way to God. And I pray that he has become your rock and your salvation. And then he continues to speak to Mary because it, all evidence tells us that Joseph probably dies when Jesus is fairly young. Jesus, uh, before his public ministry commenced, Joseph appears to be gone. And then Simeon says, and a sword... This is not the short sword, but this is a large sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Mary, I have to tell you, you know, we bask in the Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? But Simeon says, Mary, you need to know. At some point in the future, a sword is gonna break your heart. Mary, if we could fill in the blanks, you're going to watch him die. And you're going to feel helpless. And you're going to wonder, what has God done here? But it will all make sense. It will all come together. And I'm sure Mary was deeply reflecting on the moment, maybe thinking about all the implications. The language here talks about hearts being revealed. Jesus is a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He's the word of God. And at that very moment, there was one other player there, and we're winding down. There was a prophetess. Now, I want you to remember, Bible students, that God had not spoken to the nation of Israel, no prophet, for 400 years, but there's a prophetess. Her name is Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, 
of the tribe of Asher. By the way, the name Asher means happy. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Here's what appeared to happen in the case of Anna. Uh, her name means grace, by the way, and it's a form. Anna is a form of the Hebrew Hannah. And so she apparently got married maybe very early, maybe 14, as Mary might have been. Married seven years, probably became a widow, perhaps at 21, and then had lived a long time. What's your Bible say there? She had lived uh, how many years as a widow? Advancing years? 84 years. Some, some believe that she's 105. Wow. <laughs> That's a long time to be a widow. She never remarried. She may have lived in the temple precincts and she was there. She never missed a service. Amen? Don't miss a church service. You never know what you might miss. Can you imagine her being there all that time and she takes one day off and then someone tells her, oh, you won't believe what happened to Simeon. <laughs> You're like, no! Well, she was a widow to the age of 84, so you can do the math. She never left the temple serving night and day. She fasted, she prayed, kind of an anticipating fasting of, Lord, you're going to do something. She was wise, constant in worship. I'll tell you, uh, for our brethren among us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and have some gray hair, we ought to pay attention to them. They got a lot of stuff to teach us about perseverance and hope. I'm amazed at how many young people have lost hope in our culture. But look at her. Never remarried, hung out in the temple, fasted and prayed, prayed and fasted. And at that very moment, final verse for tonight, she came up, Simeon had been speaking his words to Mary, and I don't know if she grabbed the baby or not, but she began giving thanks to God, and she continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking, final part of the verse, for the redemption of Jerusalem. She Got people's attention, and this is probably what she did all the time. But today was the day. Simeon, bless God. My eyes have seen your salvation. Here comes Anna, and she goes, People of the temple, I've got some news for you. Come and see what God has done. And I wonder if a crowd assembled, and people began to peer into the baby Jesus' eyes. And usually people make those funny noises like, ooh, ooh, ah. And you try to get him to copy your facial expressions. Anyway. There's a song that we're about to do. It's called Noel. Come and see what God has done. And there's Simeon and Anna, probably both older, probably waited a long time for the realization of this divine consolation. And there he was. Hope is alive tonight because Jesus is alive. Do you believe that? And he still saves. Would you bow your heart with me? Lord, the song that rings in my soul is Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. For Simeon, who means the Lord hears, his name means the Lord hears, and Anna, 
whose name means grace. Well, it all comes together right there. The Lord hears and the Lord is a God of all grace and all comfort. And I want to pray for every believer that's here tonight. Much like Simeon and Anna, the part of the remnant, been holding on, fighting the good fight for a long time. This room is filled with them. There are people watching tonight. They've been fighting the good fight, praying, fasting, looking, preaching. Let them not lose heart tonight, Lord. Because you are true to your promises And maybe at a very unexpected time for many in the temple that day, maybe many who were going through the motions, the Christ had come. My prayer is that those who don't know you tonight, the Christ would come to them. You have come. You're in this place. And you're a prayer away. And I would encourage you tonight, if you're not sure that you know Jesus, right now is your moment. You can say, you can pray, Lord Jesus, save me. I've seen you in a new way tonight. I've sensed you maybe in a new way in my soul. I want to know the hope that's found in you. I want to know the consolation, the comfort that you bring. I want to know what it means to serve the true king and use my life like Simeon and Anna in his service. I want to look forward to a day when the realization of all the dreams of my soul will be fulfilled when I will see him face to face, perhaps hold him in my arms and experience his touch of wiping away every tear from our eyes. Many tears have been shed these last couple of years, Lord, but you bring divine consolation. Bless your people. Bless the one who feels empty tonight. Fill their heart. Turn your life to Jesus right now. Don't let anything stop you. Save me, Lord. I repent. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. And you just want to come back home. He's here. And he would bid you to come. Come just as you are. Turn from your sin and trust him again. Trust him afresh. He'll meet you right here tonight. Lord, we just want to say we love you. Thank you for this blessed Christmas Eve service. And as we sing a final Noel and then a silent night as we light our candles, we just think of that scene in the temple. Come. We hear Anna's voice echo through time. Come and see what God has done.